Well, folks, we have a special guest with us today. If you recall, earlier this year, we um, took a support offering during the month of July, and that offering was to go to the Ukraine uh, ministries, people who have been serving in Ukraine um, or are maybe over there right now uh, doing a variety of things. And so we had uh, split that offering in three different directions, one of which was Samaritan's Purse, um, through the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Another place we sent that money was to um, the Crew Romania. And uh, if you remember um, the Grigore family, they were here and they shared some testimony as they've been ministering to a variety of refugees that have come over as Romania is a neighboring country to the Ukraine. And another family we sent that support to was Jason and Emily Sturenberg. And Jason is joining us here today. And um, he's a part of the um, Navigators Ministry. They had been serving over in Ukraine. And as soon as that war began, it forced them to come back stateside. And so they've been down in the Lee's Summit, Kansas City area. And um, we've invited Jason to come and just share a little bit with you on an update as well as from the Word of God. And so, Jason, if you'd come on over, I want to pray over Jason and just let him bring what God has prepared on his heart to share. And so let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time together in your Word, and I pray that you would guide us, that you would lead us in your Word by your Spirit. We thank you for Jason and his family. We ask a blessing upon them today. And Lord, in the midst of everything that's going on in their world, as well as the world of many Ukrainians and even Russian individuals' lives, we ask, Father, for your grace, for your intervention, for your guidance, for your peace, and for the gospel to advance, even in the midst of the evil that is going on. And so we just ask, Father, for your guidance here today as we lean in to listen to what it is you've pressed upon Jason's heart to share. And so we ask for this grace here today. We thank you for our children's ministry. Please bless their time in the word. And we thank you, Lord, for the ministry that's happening right here and right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you please welcome Jason Sturenberg. All right. Test, test. Can you guys hear me? All right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, as Pastor Russ said, my name is Jason Sternberg, uh, Studenberg, if you're pronouncing it in Russian or Ukrainian, which seems to be a little bit more German to me. Um, but my wife Emily and I are on staff with a ministry called The Navigators, and we've been with The Navigators for about 10 years. And the majority of our time for the past 10 years has been focused on student ministry in Kiev, Ukraine, which is, uh, the best word I can come up with is complicated uh, currently. And so this is my family. Uh, we have three kids. This is Gemma, who's four. Kyler, who's two, just turned two this week, and then Fletcher, uh, who is zero. Do you count by zero? Uh, he's two months old, and so he's just figuring out life. And uh, the, there we go. So Fletcher's middle name is actually Slava, and Slava is a Ukrainian word that means praise or glory, but it also is a common name, and so for us it just felt like a fitting way to acknowledge, I think, this moment in history. Um, and also just some of our history tied together with Ukraine. And, and it is indicative of what we pray that uh, Fletcher's life would be a praise and a glory to God. Uh, before I get started, I just wanted to yeah, say a, kind of a general thank you. Um, I, I met this community in high school. I grew up in Clare, Iowa. Uh, I went to Manson. 
And then I got to know uh, this congregation, and I got to know the youth group there. And, and I think I was encouraged by two things. One, uh, other people that loved the Lord and wanted to walk with him. I said, man, that looks like fun. I want to be a part of that. And then the other thing was seeing leaders invest in their youth. Uh, and, I, and I think I am where I am today because of your investment. So just as a thank you uh, and as, a, as an encouragement, just keep investing in your young people. Uh, as Pastor Ross said, you guys are, you guys are awesome. Uh, we remember you so fondly, Emily and I, and uh, we just wanted to say a big thank you. What, what we were able to do with the gift you supplied this summer was, was buy a van, um, and it's a small thing, but I think in the midst of a lot of transitions, Pastor Russ actually called me the day that the car we were borrowing started to fail. I don't know. It's like there's a God. Uh, <laughs> And, and so I tell you, we prayed and we looked around and, and we were able to trade that one in and, and, and get a van. And I tell you, I brought that van home and my kids jumped in it and they were playing around in it and they were giggling and laughing because they thought it was the best thing in the world. And every time that Emily and I drive it, we look at each other and we say, man, we are so grateful for this vehicle. So thank you so much uh, for, for that gift. Complicated, uh, that's the word I would use uh, for Kiev right now. I was just writing my... I have two friends that I keep in contact with almost daily. It's Andre and Dima. Dima, I haven't heard from him for a couple of days, which is making me a little hesitant, but Andre just said that he's having uh, power is, is on and off every three hours. He still has water, still has heat, uh, which isn't guaranteed right now. Uh, Russian forces have been pounding the country and trying to hit the infrastructure, so taking out electricity, water, heat, the basic necessities that I think we all have. and um, it, it's, it's hard to... to I was just telling Pastor Russ, step out of my shoes and step into theirs and just imagine what reality would be like, especially with young kids uh, for Ukrainians right now. So about a third of the country is without power. Uh, winter is, is hard. It's just hard in Ukraine, and, and the fighting is entering a new stage, and, and Ukrainian forces have been, have been very successful uh, in their southern offensive, and they, they, while they, were, they did this tricky thing where they launched a southern offensive and then by surprise launched a northern offensive at the same time, and so they've been able to take back a lot of ground uh, and now it's kind of figuring out what are, what are Russian forces going to do to respond. And things are going to change, obviously, with, uh, with the landscape of the war as winter comes. But that's just, that's the war. And so then we're looking at, for ourselves, how do, we, how do we navigate what's become for us just a fog of war? If our ministry is to Ukrainian college students, but you can't be with the students that you're trying to minister to. So that's what we're trying to figure out uh, and pivot to. Now is about the time where we'd be gearing up to go back to Ukraine. Uh, and so we are just trying to figure out what's the Lord asking us to do with that calling uh, and just what do we want to do? What does he really put on our hearts to do? So you could just pray for us uh, in that uh, navigating of the fog of war. And if Jesus like tells you uh, what Jason and Emily should do, could you just like text me? Uh, give me a call. Like that's, uh, that would be great. And if you want to talk more about Ukraine, I, I would love it. Uh, you, you can catch me after the service. I'll stick around for a little bit. Um, I would love to do that. Well, it's, man, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I love the Bible, uh, and I love you guys, and, and so this is a fun way to combine both of those. Uh, we're going to continue our series in Mark. Uh, we're in Mark 10 this morning, uh, and the basic plan goes like this. Uh, we're going to talk about a conversation that Jesus has with a man, and then we're going to talk about the conversation that's the follow-up that Jesus has with the disciples, which is sort of a basic pattern for making disciples, that you, you have the process of, of doing something together, and then you, you process what you just did together, and then you draw down some kingdom implications, right? Uh, this is what we do with our kids all the time, and this is how we, how we parent, right? And then 
as we work through those two conversations, I'm going to weave some stories in from Ukraine just to, to illustrate the point, uh, but also just so you can get to know me and, and what God is doing in Ukraine a little bit more. If I were to ask the question, what do you really want in life? What do you really want? How would, how would you answer that question? There's a, there's a quote that I keep going back to again and again. It's actually by a Scottish writer. He was an apologist uh, back in the day. Uh, and he wrote a little story, and, and he's encountering a, a priest and a prostitute. And the prostitute is, is arguing with the priest, and the priest responds, and he says, the young man who rings the bell at the brothel is unconsciously looking for God. The young man who rings the bell at the brothel is unconsciously looking for God. So the young man going, looking for life in sex and sexual pleasure, what he's saying is he's actually looking for God. And everyone is looking for life. And I think what Jesus is getting at in this passage is what do you really want? What do you really want? So let's start here in verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Here's my first observation. We all lack one thing. And that's a heart that puts Jesus over everything else. We, we all lack one thing, and that's a heart that loves Jesus more than all of our stuff, all of the life that we've built for ourselves. And this has been the case since Genesis 3. Ever since Adam and Eve took that fruit and ate it, it's been wired into our DNA to love other things more than God. So this man comes up, and I, I love this interaction because the man comes up, he asks the initial question, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I just sort of wish that that's the way ministry always was. People would just come asking me, hey, Jason, what must I do to inherit eternal life so I could just, right out of the park? It's usually not the way ministry goes. And, and one of the things I love about the Bible is it's unpredictable. Uh, we expect Jesus to answer, believe in the Son of God, and you'll have eternal life. But that's not what he says. What does he say? He says, why do you call me good. And the Bible will do this where it will, it will lay things out, set you up for something, and then go over here. And what that does is it forces the reader to meditate on what's actually being said. And if you followed Mark to this point, Mark 1 through 8 kind of has this movement of Jesus basically healing the blindness of his disciples. So they, they understand 
this is a guy worth following, but then he starts to peel back the layers and say, but there's more, there's more, there's more. So they get to the point in, in chapter 8 where he's healing a blind man, and he takes two cracks at it. And the first time Jesus heals him, the man can see, but it's, it's blurry. He, he sees people, but they look like trees walking. Which is this metaphor for what just happened in chapters 1 through 8, where Jesus is saying, this is the kingdom of God, I am the king. And they're saying, I see it, but I don't see it like I ought to see it. And then in the final movement, from that point, Jesus heals the man. He can see clearly. He follows Jesus. And so on the second half of Mark, now what he's doing is he's making it abundantly clear. And so he has all of these encounters, and you'll see it coming from after chapter 8, where he's rebuking. He's calling people out. He's challenging what they know. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. We all lack one thing, and that's a heart that loves Jesus more than everything else. Uh, Living in Kiev and and doing several moves back and forth has a way of uh, making me think differently about stuff. And uh, I remember moving to Ukraine for the first time, and I can't even say that I packed my bags because I literally packed like one bag. You know, it's a young bachelor life. You just throw stuff in that you think, I could live on two years while on that. That'll be fine, right? Uh, going back and forth as a family, a little different. Uh, we had to pack a stroller, car seats, and then you get kind of get your allotment of six bags, and, and you sort of just think, ah, I think we can do life and ministry like this, and then you throw that in the bag. And, and I remember sitting down in uh, January of this year with our supervisors, and, and I'll never forget this conversation because we're sitting across the table from them, and they said, it's time to go. And I remember going back to our apartment that night, and we're, we're looking around, and, and I'm like, babe, what are we, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna figure out what to take and leave? And she said, you know, honey, it's just stuff. It's all replaceable. And I just thought, man, my wife is awesome. And I think that's what Jesus is getting to here. We all lack one thing, and it's the heart that will put Jesus over everything. And I said, yeah, let's pack what we, what we can. But let's follow Jesus. Let's just follow Jesus. I realize that when I put these messages together, there's about a thousand things I want to say, and so I have to really filter what I actually want to get at here. Let's pick it up in verse 23. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. We all lack one thing. It's a heart that loves God more than anything, and Jesus sets us up perfectly to help us understand that it is not just that, but only God can fix that problem. Only God can change and transform the heart. 
And I love the metaphor Jesus gives here. Has, this is a, just a fun fact for me. Has anybody ever ridden a camel? It's just like, nobody's, one person in this room besides me has ridden, nobody else has ridden a camel? Okay, so the only reason I rode a camel is because my daughter wanted to, and we were in Cyprus. I guess there's Camel Park in Cyprus. Very cool. Highly recommend. Uh, we were on a little family vacation. Anyways, I get on this camel, and it's sort of like a horse, but not a horse. I think my whole point of this story is just to tell you that a camel is a big animal, um, and that trying to fit that large of an animal through the eye of a needle is impossible. And that's what Jesus is saying. And he's not speaking about some external event. He's speaking about what's going on in our hearts. We all lack a heart that would put God first, that would love him more than everything else. And now Jesus is telling me, you can't change it? As, as far as you can put a camel through the eye of a needle, that's about as much as you're able to change this situation. And so Peter, uh, speaking for, or not Peter, but, but the disciples speaking for all of us said, who can be saved? Like if that's the truth, then who's going to get in the kingdom? How do, we, how do we fix this? And Jesus gives us, with man, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. As I mentioned before, we, uh, being in college ministry in Kiev, we try to leverage English clubs uh, in, in English language as a way to meet students and, and share our lives, and then through that avenue to share the gospel. And so it was 2014, and I, we were doing an English club, um, and that's the wrong story. Shift, just a second. It was 2021. I don't know what year it is anymore. Uh, it was 2021. And we had just come back with Gemma and Kyler, uh, and I know when you add kids, it gets easier. Uh, what made it even easier uh, to, to pioneer this college ministry was that COVID had locked down a lot of things, and, and Kiev was a little bit slower to coming around and getting over the hump of, of the cases, and so things were still locked down when we went back in 2021. And, and, and the pioneering college ministry, the, the main focus that you have at the very beginning is meeting students, which is a little tricky when students aren't actually around. And so I had these ideas kind of floating around. I was like, oh, I could try this, or I could do this, and I could do this. And I, I went on a personal retreat, and I took it before the Lord, and I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. This is impossible for me. I, I can't do this. I, I, can't, I can't generate contacts out of, out of nothing. And I remember wrestling with him, and he brought me to the point where he said, you know, Jason, I know this is impossible, but not with me. I am God. All things are possible with me. And so I launched this online platform called the, the Connect uh, Student English Club of Kiev. And, and I meant it to be a, a way that we could just, any context, like literally any little foothold we could get in the student population, we could drive the traffic there. And so my idea was create this online platform, use the, the main social media messaging app that exists among all students uh, in Kiev, and create a group that we could, we could Use that to, to launch events, to gather people, to communicate, keep in touch. And so we had what, I, you know, if you imagine uh, your student ministry and you say, these are the core group of students who love Jesus, they're following the Lord, they're making disciples on campus, they're hard after it. 
We had like fringe contacts like way out here that were like, I'm not sure if they're gonna be here tomorrow. <laughs> Those are the contacts we had, but we put, it, put this out to them and we said, hey, join this group, tell your friends, we're gonna start this thing. And so I launched it that morning and I remember after lunch, we're hanging out, my phone vibrates. I'm like, oh, cool. Hey, the students that we put it out to, those three, they, they joined it. They're in. Praise God. That's amazing. Put my phone away. We're playing with the kids, doing stuff. My phone vibrates. I'm like, ah, oh, hey, babe, look at this. Ten people. This is amazing. It's like, praise God. Those, those, those are contacts that we never had before. We're getting dinner ready. We're hanging out, listening to music. I pull my phone out. I'm like, huh, 30? What am I going to do with 30 students? <laughs> so I put my phone away. I'm making dinner. My phone keeps vibrating. I'm like, what in the world? 50? Lord, have mercy. What am I going to do with 50 students? By the end of that day, there was 150 students that had joined that chat. Friends told friends told friends. Which, if you catch it in Matthew 28, that's, that's what Jesus envisions for world evangelization, right? Friends tell friends tell friends. And what it illustrated for me was that God can do the impossible. I can't put a camel through the eye of a needle, but God can. And, and I understand that that's, that's an external, outside of me sort of example. What Jesus is talking about right here is what's going on in the heart. This man comes to Jesus, and he loves his stuff more than following Jesus. And Jesus says, that's the problem, and you can't fix it, but God can. Go, sell all that you have. Give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. What else do you want? The conversation continues in, in Peter in verse 28. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. And I love it because you can hear the emotion in Peter's voice here. If Peter, you'll remember, uh, with his brother left uh, his dad in the boat with the nets, left his career, left his home, left everything because they said, there's something about this guy. I just got to go follow him. So Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. And you can see the love in Jesus' eyes. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are fat, last, first will be last, and the last first. What does Jesus do with a heart that has been transformed? What does he do when he, after he puts the camel through the eye of the needle and he changes that thing in us that we couldn't fix? What does that mean for us? It means that the answer that the man sought in the beginning is losing your life. Jesus answers the question from the man. He says, and in the age to come, eternal life. He's going right back to the conversation they just had with the man. 
What must I do to inherit eternal life? Answer, get your heart transformed. Sell all that you have. Give it away. It's not that important. Following me, that's the key. And when you do that, you will find that losing your life is the key to finding life. Jesus will go on later uh, in the chapter to tell his disciples again, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be mocked, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be crucified, I will die, and on the third day I will rise. In Mark 10, 45, he says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In uh, 2014, we were doing an English club, and, and I met a guy named Andre. And Andre is uh, a flaming extrovert, uh, and he would spend every hour of his 24 hours a day with people if he could. And uh, Andre was someone that, uh, he's not a believer, he's still a dear friend today, uh, doesn't know Jesus. He's heard the gospel several, several times, has seen it lived out in our lives um, but I remember initially meeting Andre, and he was so excited because he had just gotten a new camera, and I, I did digital media, I did photography, graphic design, things like that. So it was like right in my wheelhouse, and I said, yeah, let's go hang out and take pictures. And so, you know, I, in my own mind and in my own heart, I had blocked out this schedule, and I said, you know, these four hours, I'll go do that. And then I kind of had a to-do list uh, coming up that I, I wanted to get some things done when I went back home. And so we, we initially set out, we're taking pictures on campus. We're like, hey, let's go downtown, take some pictures down there. And so we go downtown, take some pictures. And, you know, I'm checking my watch, and I'm thinking, it's about time for me to go. This has been great, uh, but it's about time i got to get back to uh, my stuff. Well, at about 11.30, we're, we're both laughing with each other, realizing the metro just closed, the buses are no longer running, and we're about eight kilometers from home. And so we start walking. And we picked up Sharma on the way, and we're laughing, and we're talking, and we, we pull, up to, uh, pull up with our feet <laughs> to, to my apartment, and my feet are throbbing, and I'm emotionally, my tank is empty, and I'm mentally strained because I've been trying to focus all day. And uh, it, was, it was that moment, I'll never forget this, we're standing outside my apartment, and he looked at me, and he said, you know, Jason, my dad left when I was just a boy. And I feel so frustrated in my life right now because I don't know what it's like to be a man. I don't know how to do that. And, and I don't have anyone in my life to show me how to do that. And my jaw just dropped. There, I, I tell you, there's, there's nowhere else I would have rather been than right there. Why, why did I get on that airplane and leave America, the land I've always known? all the comforts, the luxuries? Why did I leave the friends, the family, the language, the culture? It was to be there in moments like that with Andre. It was to build connections with friends like him. There's nothing more I wanted in that moment than for Andre to come into the kingdom, uh, to meet his heavenly father. And I think I come to realize when I look back on that story that, that I thought that I wanted my schedule. I thought I wanted my time. I thought I wanted the life that I had given up. But actually what I learned was that losing my life to give it away was the key to finding it. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at 
in this text. So what do we really want in life? What do we really want? Jesus says, you lack one thing. That's a heart that loves me more than anything else. The problem is you can't fix that heart. But God can. And when he does, you'll find that losing your life is the key to finding it. So I just want to give us a chance to just sit with Jesus. I wonder, what's that... What's that area that he's pressing on right now? Where do you think, man, this, this thing I've got in my heart where I'm treasuring this, whatever this is more than Jesus, I need, I need God to show up and do a miracle. I need him to put a camel through the eye of a needle because I can't fix what's going on in me right now. So I just want to give you a second. Spend some time in prayer with the Lord, thinking about that. And then we'll uh, we'll keep going. Let me just pray to uh, continue that. You don't have to stop that conversation. Jesus is with you uh, wherever you go, so you can continue that conversation. But let me pray just to wrap us up. And uh, Father, you, oh God, are our God. Earnestly we seek you. Our souls thirst for you. Our flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Jesus, there's no one like you. God, would you, would you do some impossible work this morning? Not just without, but within. Would you put camels through the eyes of needles this morning? God, would you do something in us so that we treasure you over everything else? And God, I, I would be remiss if I didn't take a moment and just pray for Ukraine. God, I pray for our friends, without electricity, heat, water, internet, wondering when the next strike will come. God, I pray for your comfort. I pray that when everything else is stripped away, that you would be there with them, arms open wide. God, I pray for the children hiding in bomb shelters, trying to stay warm, trying to make fun in the midst of war. God, may we, may we learn from their lightheartedness. God, may we learn what it is to be in the kingdom. God, I pray that your kingdom would come in Ukraine, that your will will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven, would you hallow your name there? That even in war, Jesus, that your gospel would go forth, that many would believe and come to trust in you, to treasure you over everything, so that even when all is lost, we have the greatest treasure. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.